0: You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Good evening everybody. Wonderful to be here. As Jordan said, just what a gift to be here with you and with the Lord and with one another, just amazing. <clears throat> this is the last in a series of sermons that we've been calling "woe." We've been looking at different places in the Gospels where Jesus warns people with the word "woe," w-o-e. It's a stern warning, warning to them, to them either to stop what they're doing or not to go where those people have already gone. And tonight, what we're looking at is, woe to the one who betrays Christ. I'm going to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, beginning at the 20th verse. When it was evening, Jesus took his place with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed. And began to say to him one after another, Surely not I, Lord. He answered, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And he replied, You have said so. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that my words would be faithful to your word. Pray that your word would not return void, but would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. So we do open our ears and our hearts and our wills that we might hear what it is that your spirit is saying. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We don't like betrayers. Throughout history, we've judged really harshly betrayers. Think Benedict Arnold. Think Tokyo Rose. Think Guy Fox. Anybody here know Guy Fox? <laughs> <laughs> we did not know who that was until we lived in England, and that's why the people that raised their hand <laughs> know who Guy Fox is. He was a Catholic guy who um, became involved in a plot to assassinate King James I because the people that wanted him assassinated wanted to put a Catholic on the throne. And Guy Fawkes was put in charge of the gunpowder, guarding the gunpowder that they were stockpiling before they put on this coup. The authorities got an anonymous letter suggesting that they might want to search Westminster Abbey on the night of November 5th, 1605. They searched the abbey and what they discovered was Guy Fawkes guarding this stockpile of explosives. They arrested him. They tortured him. He was sentenced to be hung help me out, hanged, drawn and and quartered, yes. Um, But he he fell from a, a scaffold and died before that could actually happen to him. The people in Britain have remembered this every November 5th since 1605. And this is how they remember it. It is a huge party. Everybody in the town comes to different places and they build a mammoth bonfire. A bonfire like Tom and I have never seen a bonfire as big as this is. It's humongous. And on the top of it, they burn an effigy of Guy Fox. <laughs> We're there, we live there now, we've, we've moved there. It's November 5th, we get invited to this thing. Our son Luke was three years old. And everyone's having fun, and I mean it's really a party, it's a very big celebration. And Luke is fascinated and he's confused. And at one point, he says, Mommy, I can't hear him. I said, you can't hear who? He said, I can't hear the man. I can't hear the man screaming. (laughs) It it was confusing. (laughs) It was confusing to the (laughs) three-year-old. But it's not confusing to the people who live there. This is... This is a time where they celebrate the demise of a, of a betrayer and a plot failed. We don't like betrayers. It's why we are we're horrified at the betrayal of Putin against the people of Ukraine. It's why we're disgusted when we hear reports of sexual abuse of minors by Catholic priests. We don't like Judas or people who imitate him. In my 38 years of being a Presbyterian pastor, I've baptized I don't know how many babies, lots and lots and lots of babies and children. And when you do that, The pastor asks the parents, before you baptize the child, what is the Christian name of this child? Never has anyone said his name is Judas Iscariot because we don't like Judas or people who imitate him. Here's a reason I think we don't like him and why we're so hard on him. I think it's because we're afraid there's a Judas chromosome in us. A Judas chromosome. It's a term that Craig Barnes came up with, and I really like it. I think that we're all afraid that we, too, are capable of betraying trust. So I want us to look at Judas, then I want us to look at the other disciples, and then I want us to take an honest look at ourselves. Judas was loved and trusted by Jesus and and the other disciples. Surely that's that's at least one reason why they made him their treasurer. He was one of the chosen twelve, loved, trusted. Jesus warns the disciples in all four Gospels that one of them will betray them. Hear what I just read. He said the Son of Man, which is a, a term that he uses for himself. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. He knows that it is God's will that he that he dies taking on the sins of the whole world upon himself. He knows that. But there is human responsibility here. And he's saying to Judas, don't do it. Don't be part of this. Don't be part of this. He warns the disciples of this as they're eating the Passover dinner together. They're at the table together. When Luke tells the story, Jesus uh, describes it as, uh, describes the betrayer as one whose hand is on the table with me. That's very poignant, actually, and, and quite tragic because the table was a place of intimate fellowship. It's one of the reasons why people got so, the religious people in Jesus' day got so irritated with him. Um, angry with him because he sat at table, shared a table with people who were not religious. They were, uh, it was really angering to them that he would do that. And um, And then you think about Judas and you think, this isn't the only meal that he ate with Jesus. He'd been eating meals with Jesus for three years. And then Matthew says, basically, we can picture the scene that Matthew's describing as Jesus is sitting next to, to Judas, sharing the bowl with him. Those of you who were at the Passover supper last night can kind of picture that scene. It's a place of honor, a place of trust. So this makes, this makes the betrayal all the, all the more painful. Because he was trusted. Later that evening, Judas will lead a, a coalition of people out uh, to, to arrest Jesus. And as he leans forward to kiss Jesus, Jesus says, Really, Judas? With a kiss? we would love to know why he did it. And there's lots of suggestions about that. Did he do it for the money? Was, he, was Jesus not the kind of Messiah that he was expecting and he just got fed up with it? In one of Barbara Brown Taylor's sermons, she ponders this, maybe he just fell out of love with Jesus. That happens sometimes. One day you think someone is wonderful and the next day he says or does something that makes you think twice. He reminds you of that difference between the two of you, and you start hating him for that, for the difference. Enough to begin thinking of some way to hurt him back. I don't know if you picked this up when I was reading the scripture, but when Jesus says that one of them is going to betray him, each disciple says, surely not, surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord except Judas. Judas says, surely not I, rabbi. Now, Jesus was their rabbi, their teacher, but so much more. So was it because, was he only, only a rabbi to Judas? Maybe not his Lord. And so, When he didn't do what he expected, he was just done. He was over it. We don't know. Whatever the reason, what we do know is he's the betrayer. He embodies the horrible words, I think, in Psalm 55. But boy, if you've ever been betrayed, they're good ones. It's not enemies who taunt me. I could bear that. It's not adversaries who deal insolent. Lently with me. I could hide from them. But it's you, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend with whom I kept pleasant company. Maybe it's good that the disciples don't tell us why he did it. It gives us some room to, to think in our own heads about what would make someone betray Jesus. What why might someone do that? Each one of them says, surely it's not I, Lord. I think maybe they said that because they knew it could be them. In fact, it it was all of them. Just a little later on in that chapter, Jesus says, you'll all become deserters, all of you. And if you know the story, you remember how Peter says, not me, i w- it, it, that's impossible. Everybody else might, but not me. But he does. He denies that he's a disciple three times. I like um, the way Barbara Brown Taylor paraphrases, uh, very um, generously paraphrases Peter's denial. She, sa- she says that, Maybe he said, well, we weren't friends, exactly. Acquaintances might be a better word. Actually, we just worked together. For the same company, I mean, not really together, just near each other. My desk was near his. I don't really know him at all. Jesus and Peter are not the only ones. They all fall asleep when he's in agony Almost all of them desert him at the cross. None of the 12 are there to tend to his body after he dies. The truth is, they all have a Judas chromosome. That terrifies me. Does it terrify you? It terrifies me. I mean, right now our commitments might be going along just fine, but who knows when that Judas Judas chromosome is gonna destroy a life that's built on a resolve to be good and loving and faithful. The truth is, we all live with the possibility of betrayal. I wanna just take a pause right now just because there may be somebody in this room who is really hurting tonight because you've been betrayed. And if that is you, hear these words. Jesus gets you. He has been there. And he can tell you, it's not the end of your story. The truth is, most of us will suffer being betrayed at some point, if we haven't already been. But on this night, it's really important to realize that we can also be the perpetrator of betrayal. Judas is a, a symbol of the evil that lives in all of us. What would it take for you to walk away? To walk away from discipleship. What would it take for you to walk away? Maybe um, having expectations and praying and praying and praying to God to please do that, and eventually getting to a point where you realize He's not going to meet those expectations. Will you walk away? Or you see the dark side of the church and you get really disillusioned. Will you walk away then? Or you just work so hard at your work with your family that pretty soon the faith just kind of fizzles away. The truth is, in this story, the fragility of all Jesus' disciples is on full display. It's on full display. All his disciples. Surely, not I, Lord. Surely not I. One of the messages of Good Friday is that we will all betray Jesus at some point. We'll betray him at work when it's just too costly to speak up or to act or even maybe to think as a Christian. We'll betray him in our homes when our anger gets the best of us and we betray those who have put their trust in us. We'll betray him when, we, uh, when we're indifferent to the poor, when our hearts are hardened to the transformative work that he wants to do in our lives when our ears are deaf to the needs of our neighbors. The Judas chromosome is in all of us. After he sees that that Jesus is condemned, Judas repents. That's what the scripture says. That's the word the scripture uses. He, He repents. And he turns around and he goes back to the people who've paid him to betray Jesus. He tries to give the money back to him, and they don't want that blood money. They don't want him. They're done with it. They've used. They've used him. They've got what they wanted. They're done with him. And so Judas goes out and he hanged himself. The scripture says, he killed himself. To quote Craig Barnes again, to repent means to turn. And what is most important is where we turn. Judas turned into his guilt. He tried to give the money back, and then he went out and he destroyed his life. In contrast, Peter and the other disciples just waited until the risen Savior found them. They lived with their betrayal until they encountered the risen Savior, the only one who could offer forgiveness. They worshiped him, and then he gave them the Great Commission, a holy purpose for their lives, that they would go and make disciples of all nations. And then he said this, I will be with you always. All we have to do is turn to him, the one who will be with us always when we're faithful and when we're faithless. Always means always. Jesus died for the, son, for the sins of Judas and for all those who carry the Judas chromosome. He died for all the betrayers. He died for Judas and for Peter and for the ones who fell asleep and the ones who abandoned him. He, had, he dies for all those who betray him today, for those who betray him and deny him and abandon him and practice sleepy discipleship. From the cross, he says, Father. Forgive them. So on this Good Friday, let's just be honest that we cannot be constantly, consistently faithful to the Savior, which is one big reason we need the Savior. And when you fail him, friends, be very where you turn. Don't turn into your guilt and your shame because that will kill you. Turn to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is with you always. Pray with me.